Having concluded our series on the subject of marriage, we're returning to our series on the book of Acts, Um, and we find ourselves this morning in Acts chapter 23, sorry, Acts chapter 9, verses uh, 32 through 43, as a text for our sermon. So let's hear God's word as we find it this morning, Acts chapter 9. Verses 32 through 43. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turned Turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. There are some who might read the book of Acts and conclude that this is simply the work of, of the church after Jesus Christ disappeared into heaven. There are even some who will go so far as to say that the only relevant portions of Scripture are those we find in the Gospels, directly speaking of Jesus Christ. They'll conclude that Jesus' brief time of ministry on this earth, that period of some 33 years, was all that he accomplished. He died, he rose again, and ascended, and that was it. Jesus was a historical figure that has had some impact on human history, yet his work ended over 2,000 years ago. And yet, such a perspective is wrong. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1 that the Gospels are just the beginning. They're, they're just the, the starting of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. We read in Acts 1 verse 1, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. Notice this is simply the beginning. The gospel accounts are simply the beginning. There's so much more to tell of what Jesus Christ has done. And this is part of Luke's interest in narrating the events of the book of Acts. 
It is to tell us what Jesus Christ continued to do after he ascended up into heaven. And the events of our text are just as much the work of Christ as the many miracles he performed in his earthly ministry were his work. And the works of Christ in the last 2,000 years, even the works of Christ in our own life, these are indeed his works. Christ is indeed building his church, even though he has ascended up into heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus Christ is continuing to work. Yet we, as the people of God, can doubt this. We can view the work of Christ like a piece of music. It, it starts off with a loud roar, then it slowly fades and gets quieter and quieter with each passing century slowly fading. And we can even wish that we were back in the days of the early church where we might see with our eyes the miracles performed and hear with our own ears the words of the apostles preaching to us. And we can maybe even doubt with John the Baptist asking, are you the coming one or do we look for another? We can be like Thomas saying, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and, and put my fingers into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. We can wonder in this current generation if Christ is truly triumphant. If he's truly ascended, if he's truly reigned as king, after all, how can a triumphant Christ allow unsaved relatives to continue in unbelief? How can a triumphant Christ allow a Christian school to be attacked and three adults and three children killed? How can a triumphant Christ allow my marriage to fall apart? How can a triumphant Christ allow me to continue to struggle with besetting sins? Is the gospel somehow not as powerful as it used to be? Is Christ somehow not as triumphant as he once was? Yet Christ remains the same. Revelation 1.18 says, Do not be afraid. This is the word of Christ. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. The issue is certainly not the power of Christ. Christ is victorious. He has won the victory. The issue is our own faith. We doubt. We are like the waves of the sea being tossed to and fro. We might confess that the tomb is empty, but for all intents and purposes, Christ's body might as well still be back in that tomb. Yet we must believe. For as Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. You must have a real hearty faith based upon the truth of God's word. 
God's word tells us that Christ is still working, that he is still building his church, that he is victorious, that he reigns over all the kings of the earth. That's, after all, what we just sang in Psalm 22e. Christ is victorious and reigning. And he is indeed coming again to judge the living and the dead. And two ways that our text from Acts 9 speaks of the continued victory of Christ is his victory over sickness and his victory over death. And so let us strengthen our faith this morning by considering our triumphant Christ. First, considering that Jesus Christ is triumphant over sickness. In Acts 9.32, Luke shifts from telling us about the beginning of Paul's labors to go back to the ministry of Peter. Now, the last time we had encountered Peter in the book of Acts, it's been a while, but the last time we had encountered Peter, he had been ministering in the land of Samaria, in particular, laying hands upon, upon the believers there, such that they received the Holy Spirit. And here, In our text, we find that Peter has been continuing to travel, but this time throughout Judea, like he working to establish the churches and the people of God who had originally fled the persecution in Jerusalem. And in Peter's travels, he came to the city of Lydda, which is to the northwest of Jerusalem, starting to get near the coast of the Mediterranean. Now, we aren't told much about this man, Aeneas, except that he had been bedridden for eight years because he was paralyzed. We don't know why he had been paralyzed, but this was evidently a, a very severe paralysis. This was not just the paralysis of his lower legs. Those who, who were lame and, and crippled that way could still find opportunity to get around. Let's just consider the a lame man in, in Acts chapter 3 who sat by the beautiful gate of the temple uh, begging alms. This man was so paralyzed that he could not even get out of his bed. And consider what a hopeless discouragement this would be. Man, it's a complete loss of freedom for this man. He was reduced to having other people care for all his bodily needs, feeding him, bathing him, purchasing food for him. Every conceivable human need, he was dependent upon others. And children, you can get pretty discouraged if you are sick for a couple of days and aren't allowed to run around, but you have to stay in bed. But imagine being in bed for eight whole years. For a whole eight years, this man was completely dependent upon the mercy and grace of others. He was in very dire straits. There is a sobering connection between physical sickness and spiritual sickness. Both are related because all sickness is ultimately a result of the fall of the world into sin. God first created this world. There was no sickness and death in it. Disease and death are the curse Adam and Eve brought upon the world for disobeying the command of God. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 
And the Old Testament often uses sickness and disease to drive at the spiritual reality of fallen men. And thus, leprosy was often a very stark example of, of the vileness of men's sin. The slow death of body limbs, the open sores and wounds, the stinking of rotting flesh were all to point to the corruption of sin. Physical sickness is a staggering picture of our spiritual state. It helps us to to see with our eyes things we, we can't necessarily see with our eyes. Physical disease helps us get a window into the odiousness and, and the awfulness of our sin. And we find that with the man in our text. His physical paralysis is a picture of our spiritual paralysis. By nature, every single human being is spiritually paralyzed. No matter their race, no matter their gender, no matter their social status, no matter their IQ level. All are spiritually paralyzed. They're unable to do that which is good. Jeremiah asks the rhetorical question in Jeremiah 13.23, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. In other words, just as it is impossible for a man to change his skin color and a leopard its spots, so it's impossible for a person to do that which is good by nature. He is spiritually paralyzed. Just like the man who's bedridden, so we cannot get up and do good. Yet we live a time where few recognize their paralysis. There are few who have the eyes to see and own up to their human nature. There are certainly many who recognize the discouragements that they have in this life. There are many who are depressed, who are lonely, who feel isolated, friendless, who seem helpless. They recognize some of the symptoms that they have, but they do not have the correct diagnosis for that condition. And this is a very lamentable reality, to experience the symptoms but not know what causes those symptoms, or even to wrongly understand what causes those symptoms. This is like a a blind man who, who refuses to acknowledge that his problem is is with his eyes. You know, he says, my, no, my problem is with my legs or my arms. I can't see. And, and the issue is, is something else. No. Man's problem is his eyes. Similarly, people today will go around and say, no, the problem with society is, is education. And so we just need to educate people more. Or the problem, they'll say, is capitalism or communism. They'll say the problem is, is a philosophy or a worldview. So the problem is, is science. But they'll be blind to the fact that their problem is sin. That's indeed your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is your sin. Why is it that humanity, every single time it tries to arrive at utopia, 
it utterly and miserably fails in those endeavors. It is because of sin. Yet God, in his infinite grace, healed this man of his paralysis. We read in verse 34 of our text, And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ, heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose, so all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And notice here that it wasn't Peter who healed Aeneas ultimately. It was Jesus. Peter says, Jesus the Christ heals you. He didn't say, oh, I heal you. What amazing words for this man to hear. This man likely had heard something of Jesus Christ. Jesus' ministry on the earth lasted some three years. This man likely heard something about Jesus Christ. And maybe was hopeful that one day Jesus would come to his house and heal him. He would come to his city and heal him. That never happened. And then this man hears that Jesus has died. But then there's these some rumors that this man has, man Jesus has risen again from the dead. And here, he hears the words, Jesus the Christ heals you. What an amazing thing. This man who was dead rose again. And while he's not in front of me before my eyes, one of his disciples is, he is still working to heal me. Jesus, after his ascension, continues to be triumphant. And we live in a world of many spiritual gurus. There are many who believe that their priest is able to save them. That their pastor is able to pronounce them holy enough to go to heaven. That their friend is able to say, you're a good person. There's nothing that wrong with you. It's all right and, and that enough to save them. This passage teaches us that the only one who can heal you, the only one who can save you is Jesus Christ. Peter had no power in himself to heal. He had no power in himself to save. It was Christ who healed Aeneas. It's Christ who is triumphant. And do you believe in our triumphant Christ? Do you believe he is your only hope for the spiritual sickness which you have? Galatians 1 and 3 through 4 says, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from our present evil age. Do you believe that Jesus saves us from this present evil age? Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? There are many who certainly believe in Jesus. They'll go and say, oh yes, uh, I acknowledge Jesus as a historical figure. That, you know, there's been enough research done that, that says, no, it's sort of irrefutable. Jesus must have existed. They'll believe Jesus. Yet, 
They won't believe that he is the Christ. They believe Jesus is a good person, a wise man, a moral teacher, uh, even a prophet. They'll believe that he ultimately is unable to save them from their sins. They believe they still have to contribute their good works to earn their salvation. They still have to do this work and they still have to do that Our text tells us, Jesus the Christ heals you. Christ is the only one who can save, for he is the Christ. He is, in other words, the Messiah. He is the anointed one, set aside particularly for that task of redemption. Jesus the Christ heals you. This is your only hope for your spiritual paralysis. It is for Jesus to heal you such that you do arise and do good. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The only way you can be saved is if God causes you to be born again. Who grants your spiritual legs and arms the strength to get out of bed. The only way you can be saved is that God causes your spiritual eyes to see just as he caused Saul's eyes to see. The only way you can be saved by believing in this Christ Believing in this triumphant Christ. If you believe in him, you will indeed be washed from all of your sins. You'll be cleansed and given a new heart. You must believe in this one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. But if you still do not believe, consider too... Jesus Christ is not simply victorious over sickness, but he is also victorious over death. Luke continues to narrate for us the ministry of Jesus Christ through the Apostle Peter, and this time he points us to the resurrection of a godly woman named Tabitha at the coastal city of Joppa. Some of you now may recall that Joppa was the same city that Jonah went to to escape God's command for him to go and preach in the city of Nineveh. And it's interesting that this city has so much connection to the miracle of resurrection. Jesus' resurrection, sorry, Jonah's resurrection from the belly of the great fish was to be a sign of, of Christ's coming resurrection. Jesus told the scribes and the Pharisees who came seeking a sign that no sign would be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And here in our text, we have another sign given for us. Peter is told by two men who implore him not to delay, but to come to Joppa with them. When Peter gets to Joppa, he is taken to an upper room, which is full of widows testifying to this woman's good works. This woman, Tabitha's good works. And they're, they're showing Peter all the garments and the clothing that, that Tabitha made for them while she was yet alive. 
saying, this truly was a godly woman. And we mourn her loss. But is it possible? Is it at all possible if you, Peter, raise her again from the dead? Peter responds by asking them to, to leave the room and he turns to beseech Jesus Christ in prayer and following the example of Jesus and raising Jairus' daughter. Peter says almost the exact same words Jesus said. Instead of Talitha kumi, Jesus said, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Peter says, Tabitha, arise. We read, she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand, lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Many saw this wonderful sign and believed. The same thing happened in Lydda with the healing of this paralyzed man. They saw this miracle and they believed. And as you hear this sign, this declaration of, of God's word, and, and hear that this miracle did indeed happen. As you hear this sign with your ears, do you Believe in our triumphant Christ. Will you believe that Jesus is triumphant over sickness, but not just over sickness, over death itself? Death is man's greatest enemy, just like sickness is the result of the fall, so death is the result of man's sin. God told Adam and Eve that the day they disobeyed him, they would surely die. And since their sin, man has lived under the curse of physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. He is spiritually paralyzed, unable to do that which is good. He is dead, spiritually speaking. And as a result, he heads to the grave, and after the grave, he suffers the consequences of his sins in eternal death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And regardless of spiritual maturity or godliness, all will face death until Christ appears again. Notice that all of Tabitha's good works and charitable deeds did not keep her from death. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. There are some who, who believe they can escape suffering in this life by being a godly person if they just pray enough or read their Bibles enough or volunteer for the poor enough or do this or do that. They will have, be happier and maybe somehow cheat death. They'll be able to elongate their life somehow. People are deceived, thinking they can somehow make their lives better by living a certain way, but not one person can escape death. This woman, who was a very godly disciple, still died. And you too will die. Are you ready for your death? You don't know the day of it. You may try to avoid it as much as possible, but you can never know when you're going to die. 
This is known only to the Lord. And so there's much urgency in me asking this question, are you ready to die? text says, and it happened in those days that she got sick and died. Hebrews 9.27 says, and it is appointed for men to die once and after that, the judgment. Are you ready to face judgment? Tabitha certainly was. She was a disciple of Jesus Christ who not only made a verbal profession of Christ, but also lived out that profession. She demonstrated her faith by her works. She rested sure in her triumphant Savior, Jesus Christ. And what a a glorious hope for her. For Christ is surely victorious over death. Christ, in a manner radically distinct from every other resurrection, told us in Scripture, rose again after his crucifixion. In every other example of resurrection we have in Scripture, the person eventually had to face death again. The widow of Zarephath's son, who Elijah raised from the dead, would die again. The Shunammite son, who Elisha raised from the dead, would die again. Jairus' daughter, who Christ even raised from the dead, would die again. Lazarus, who Christ raised from the dead as well, would die again. Even Tabitha would one day die again, but not Jesus Christ. Christ in his resurrection conquered death and ensured that while all would face death, yet those who trust in him would be resurrected on the last day and enjoy the fullness of eternal life with him. What a hope for Tabitha to have. What a hope for the people of God to have this morning. That Christ has conquered death. Because he suffered the curse of sin upon the cross. He had his blood poured out for the sins of his people. Do you believe that Christ is triumphant over death? Do you believe that Christ has conquered this great enemy, this curse for sin? Now, if you don't, from every worldly perspective, you may have a pretty successful life apart from Christ. You might have riches and wealth. You might have everything your heart could wish for. But death will always come knocking. Death might come knocking when you're young. It might come knocking in your old age. It might come knocking from sickness. But death will indeed come for you. And all your work will be vanity. Tabitha's good works didn't save her from death. Death is the great enemy you can never outsmart and can never conquer. But on the other hand, you may sorrow all the days of your life. You may know suffering and affliction, but you know our triumphant Savior, that he has indeed conquered death and the grave. Believing in our triumphant Christ will allow you to live a difficult and hard life, being absolutely peaceful and content For you are looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
And you will see with the eyes of faith that although the earth shake and the kingdoms of the earth be removed, King Jesus reigns on his heavenly throne as indeed promised you everlasting life in his presence, a promise that is sure as sure as the fact that Christ rose again from the dead is sure. You may ask still, what are signs that Jesus remained powerful over death today? How can I know? urge you to believe what we have here. The account of the early church. The account of the book of Acts. But I also urge you to consider the reality of the new birth. If you are looking for signs today, well first uh, consider certainly the signs we have recorded in Scripture, but also consider that Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit continues to cause those who are dead in trespasses and sins to be made alive. Gospel still a going out and saving souls. Gospel still saving us from our sins. It's no less true than it was 2,000 years ago. Why is it that a religion that is over 2,000 years old continues to change and transform lives? Why is it that events from over 2,000 years ago continue to be relevant in this day and age? It is because Christ is indeed still at work. He is still reigning on his throne and subduing and bringing and calling all his people to himself. While it may not be the work of physically causing people to rise again from the dead, Christ is still saving people from eternal and spiritual death. He is still saving people from hell. He is still triumphant. In conclusion, you might find it a little curious as to why Luke records these two miracles after everything that we've already been told about Paul. Why include this in the narrative of the early church? After all, Peter performed many miracles. What makes these two stand out in his ministry? Well, the Holy Spirit gave this account for the giving and strengthening of our faith. These two miracles come right on the heels of Paul's radical conversion. Paul was one who was spiritually blind. He, he thought he knew the truth. He thought he was serving God as God would have him in persecuting the church. He thought he was righteous in doing God's work. Yet God opened his eyes to see that he was actually persecuting the Messiah. He was persecuting the very people of God's. And after hearing uh, uh, an account of how Jesus healed a man of spiritual and physical blindness, Luke moves on to tell us about a man who was physically paralyzed and a woman who had died. And these stories are given to us to show us the triumph of Christ over our sin, that it is a full and sure triumph. He is indeed our Messiah who heals us from our spiritual blindness, our spiritual paralysis, our our spiritual deadness. These miracles were given for the giving and strengthening of our faith. And it's interesting to note how the order of these stories 
somewhat follows the ordering of what Christ told the doubting John the Baptist in Matthew 11. John the Baptist had got his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus responded to that question by telling them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Just as with Jesus' encouragement, so Luke narrates to us the blind seeing, the lame walking, the dead raised up, and the poor having the gospel preached to them. Given for the strengthening of our faith, that we might indeed believe that Jesus continues to be triumphant. If you are doubting the victory of Christ this morning, if you are doubting if your faith is weak, then consider what we have recorded for us here. That he has indeed caused the blind to see, the lame to walk, and the dead raised to life again. And he continues that work today to cause those who are spirit who are blind spiritually to see who are spiritually lame to walk, and those who are spiritually dead to rise again. Behold our triumphant Christ by faith, and believe in his name. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what a glorious gospel we have, that we have arisen and ascended and a triumphant Christ who is ever working in our own hearts, causing us to see, to hear, and to speak for the glorious news of salvation. Father, we pray when our faith is weak, we would consider these accounts we have in your word and that you would strengthen our faith by your Spirit. Lord, give us the hearts to believe and not to doubt May we ever see our Savior risen and exalted and ruling on high. May we rejoice in his name with boldness and with great comfort. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.